plan has worked. We shall triumph. You will obey. You obey. will obey. Obey? What do you want? We have your time ship. We will destroy it unless you help us with an experiment. What experiment? You will help the Daleks test another human being. What sort of test? Do not question. I will not be your slave. Doctor, I beg you. No harm will come to you if you agree. Where is your companion? Jamie? He is in the house. I have done everything you asked me to. Why do you ask about Jamie? He is the human being who is to be tested. What do you mean? Tested how? Silence! You will reveal nothing to your companion. Obey the Daleks. You are in our power. What have you done with your infernal meddling? Welcome back to Who and Company, where Doctor Who fans join the company to discuss themselves, their work, Doctor Who, and another show they love. It's episode 56. I'm Brent. And I'm Drew. On the 27th of September, we see the UK release of the animated version of The Evil of the Daleks, which, if we've timed this right, is when this episode will drop. And for us US fans, we have to wait until November 16th, unless we have other means. <laughs> Our guest this month is Anne-Marie Walsh, the talented director of that same release. Anne-Marie joins the company to discuss what it takes to bring missing episodes back to life and to fans. Then Anne-Marie brings us her pick of the month, the alien NBC comedy hit, Third Rock from the Sun. We discuss the legend that is John Lithgow, the importance of an ensemble cast, and what shape she would assume if Anne-Marie were infiltrating an alien culture. And that's coming up right after this. August. I uh, just came from my backpack. Oh, what's on the bed? Listen, I ran out because I was disappointed in you. I thought you were different than other guys. Oh, I am different. You have no idea how different I am. Well, you're not totally to blame because I know I send some really mature signals. <laughs> okay, I can deal with that. I can forget the physical stuff and just be completely intellectual all the time. Well, I hope not all the time. <sighs> Thank God, because frankly, I couldn't have done that. <laughs> Look, it's not that complicated. Sometimes you go with the intellectual, sometimes you go with the physical, and sometimes just closeness is nice. Well, how will I know when to do what? I'll decide that as we go along. <laughs> Our guest this month is an artist, designer, and director of the BBC's animated Doctor Who projects, including The Evil of the Daleks, which will be released in the UK on September 27th. Anne-Marie Walsh, welcome to Who & Company. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. 
It's great to have you here. Um, so that must be a, a lot of uh, busy work trying to get this out on time. Yeah, it's been a pretty intense year and a half, actually. Um, this is the longest show we've done um, thus far. It's seven episodes. So uh, each episode is about 25 minutes long. So and on top of that, there is a crazy amount of of, um, of extras. Um, so we've just been doing the disc checks going through making sure everything's accurate and it's it's a massive volume of content so hopefully the fans will be really happy with it we've squeezed a lot in it's been a lot of work and it's um a real thrill to finally see it all pulled together onto the discs oh well speaking of being thrilled we cannot wait to watch it i'm sure uh it's it's very likely that both brent and myself will probably order ourselves a, a uk version to watch in yeah in, I've, ar- I've already pre-ordered yeah it, so. yeah i'm, I'm gonna probably <laughs> have to and, do the it'll be my thing it'll be my very first uh steel book blu-ray so oh very oh, cool excellent. no it's great to keep to get the steel books or good collector's item mm-hmm. well one of the things that we've been doing for the last and i hate to say this 19 months uh is just doing a quick check-in to see how folks are doing uh, with everything that is going on in the world, Marie, how are you you faring with the pandemic? Um, okay, I mean it's not been an easy time for anybody. Um, I feel like I've been really lucky. Um, I've been really lucky with the project actually. Um, just been so busy on that. Um, to have work, you know, it's been a very tough time for lots of people not to have work, um, and to be able to work remotely, which means I've been able to continue and and so have my team. Um, so. As I say, I feel very lucky and I feel like, feel very fortunate to be in a country where we've had ample supply of vaccines and we've been able to have a very successful rollout of vaccines and therefore things are opening up and, and relaxing and beginning to return to some form of normality here. So very grateful for all of that and for the scientists behind it and making it all possible. Brent, how are you doing? Uh, we're doing okay. Uh, my uncle in Tennessee had been vaccinated and still got it last week, and he's 80. But uh, apparently he's doing very well, so uh, so that's good. How about you, Drew? Yeah, doing all right. Um, the the There's a college near the town where I live that just got uh, 500 reported cases in the first week of opening because they refused to have a mask policy uh, or a vaccination policy or a social distancing policy. And so now the entire university is on lockdown. Uh, so that's a little bit of a bummer on our end, but uh, for the most part, we're uh, keeping safe, keeping occupied. So, all right, well, good, good. Um, Emery, this is I'm, this is such a cool thing to talk about, and I'm so excited to get into this um, because we are talking about animation. It's such a different conversation to have about Doctor Who, but also such an important one to discuss. Um, was there an aha moment for you that set you along the path towards animation specifically? Um, yes, I guess. I've always loved animation. I've always really enjoyed it. Um, I was a little late getting into it in that um, I, I guess I didn't have the confidence to pursue a career in in the arts, really. Um, and I did a degree in computer science in Trinity and kept expecting to fail, but somehow managed to scrape through every year. Um, so got my degree and went traveling and, and uh, lived in, uh, traveled in Southeast Asia and lived in New Zealand for a year. I was very lucky to able to work and travel a bit for a while and I think that gave me a lot of confidence just seeing people you know eking out livings in different ways and and realizing the privilege I had 
in in having uh, you know no dependencies and a good education and an opportunity actually to pursue whatever I really wanted to because you know I didn't really need to look after anybody else at that period in my life so I went when I returned to Europe I um, did a like a Saturday morning course in hand-drawn animation and the first day of the course we just did something like a pendulum uh, bouncing balls and pendulum swinging and I just fell totally in love with it and I think it, for me it brought together a love of science like physics and things like that and biology and anatomy and drawing so the life drawing side of it and and art so it brings together science and art for me um, and yeah just fell totally in love with it and from there on just wanted to work in animation um, so moved to London after that course um, did a postgrad in St Martin's and have worked in animation ever since. Do you have a favorite animated feature or show? I can't even begin. <laughs> so far <laughs> too many. Yeah, everything from like weird little cult things to to traditional stuff and Disney stuff. Yeah, way too many to, to even begin that conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, I just love all the different styles coming out at the moment. It's brilliant to see so many different um, different approaches and different styles being celebrated in different ways. Is there anything in particular you've seen in the last year or so that uh, really stood out to you? Um, I've, it sounds horrific considering I work in making TV. I've barely watched anything <laughs> oh, <laughs> apart gosh. from Doctor Who because I've literally had my head stuck in making stuff. Um, so nothing really springs to mind, to be honest. Um, what have I? I can't even think of what I've watched recently. That's terrible, isn't it? Basically, when I've had a free moment, I've literally got outside and gone like gone rock climbing or mountain biking or just anything to get out of the house. So I haven't really been in front of the screen if I didn't have to be in front of a screen working. So <laughs> that's sorry, perfect. No, that's perfectly <laughs> fair. How about you, Bren? Have you, um, you know, it's funny because this, we, we discussed animation uh, just a month ago when we were talking about the X-Men, the animated series. Um, have you watched anything since then that you've uh, really enjoyed? Well, actually um, someone on Twitter uh I think it was uh, at the end of June, uh, found out that if you watched one episode of Doctor Who per day, that it would end up on the 60th anniversary in 2023. So I've been trying to keep up with that. This will be my third or fourth pilgrimage, like going through all of them. But this time, I will have Evil of the Daleks to watch as an animation <laughs> when I get to that. Um, but yeah, that that's keeping me busy. And of course, um, I've started uh, going back and watching um, Silent Witness, which I had never seen before. And now I'm up to season seven, I think. And there's like 24 right now or something. It's been on forever. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a lot of TV to, keep, to catch up with. <laughs> oh, there's so much. There's so much. Um, I'm trying to, at least as far as animation is concerned, I'm, there's a lot of shows that I'm trying to catch up with, but I also feel like there's some real gaps in my animation knowledge. And uh, I've tried years and years ago to get into watching Cowboy Bebop. Uh, and so I've just kind of restarted that and I'm really enjoying it. So I'm a couple of episodes in, but I, I definitely would like to have the entirety of the series watched before the live action program comes out. So as far as animation is concerned, that's that's sort of what where that's I'm at. Something I should watch as well, actually. That's been on my to-watch list for a while. The animation so far is stunning. Storytelling stunning, music stunning, voice acting stunning. I mean, there's it's it 
you know, every once in a while, everyone tells you you should watch something. It's like, oh, you would like this. And there's part of me, especially when it's television is concerned, when everybody tells you it's the very best thing possible. Oh, my gosh, you can't believe how good it is. I'm going to be like, oh, I'm not going to like this. These people don't know me. You're (laughs) setting it up. The bar is so high. And then, of course, I as soon as I get into it, I'm like, why didn't I get into this five years ago? Or, you know, whatever, like uh, maybe a year and a half ago, people were telling me, oh, my gosh, you have to watch Ted Lasso. Uh, I've waited on Ted Lasso and I finally started watching Ted Lasso and I watched all of Ted Lasso in a weekend. And it's like, now I have to wait a week between episodes and then there's going to be a whole other eight months before the next season comes out. You know, like that sort of a thing where. Yeah, we've got used to the instant gratification of box sets now. So it's so frustrating when you finally get to watching something, get totally addicted to it. And then you hit the end and you were like, what? What do you mean I have to wait for a year, a year? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's why. The only thing that I can say that I've really enjoyed about weekly programming, and a couple of companies and streaming services have been putting out one episode a week, is that if you go online, there's a really, there's usually quite a good community of people discussing the episode, and it makes you feel more a part of that show or that movie or something along those lines, like groups that want to talk about what happened to the last episode, what we hope to see. And I've missed that on a lot of programs. We actually haven't discussed lost on this podcast yet, but I do remember working in a, a museum and every week that lost came out, just the conversations about it. And I had no clue what was going on because I was being that guy. And, um, but I, I kind of felt like I was missing a part of the the community that is around television. And I like that. I'm, and I specifically missed that about Doctor Who. You know, I, I missed that. What's going to happen next? Let's talk about the most recent episode. Um, actually, you know what? Speaking of Doctor Who, what's your Doctor Who origin story? When did you start watching? I, I actually only really got into it when I started, when I got involved in making them mm. in the animated versions. Um I, I mean, I'd watched bits and pieces before, but I'd never really watched a lot of the live action stuff before that. Um, but since I got into the animated versions, I've become a, a huge fan, especially of Triton, obviously. I've, I've, I'm more familiar with him than any of the other doctors. Um, he's definitely my favorite doctor. Um, he's just such a quirky, cool actor. Um, maybe because I've worked with him more and therefore I've studied him a lot more in his mannerisms and eccentricities. I just think he's fantastic. He's a brilliant actor. Um, he can do so much with his face. He's got this cool, elastic, rubbery face. Um, he's just a brilliant comic actor, I think. So I've just really enjoyed working with him. Um, so I, I really like the classic Doctor Who's. So I've kind of embedded myself into that little bubble, I think. But yeah, there's still a lot for me to discover, which is really great. What well, about speak- you? Where did you get into them? Oh, it's, so mine's weird. Um, I got into it as a kid via the comic books um, in yeah. the 80s and wa- read a couple of them, liked them, but I didn't have a way of watching Doctor Who on television. So it wasn't until 1996 when the TV movie came out on Fox in the States that I, I watched my first episode of Doctor Who. And then again, it wasn't until um, 2006 after the DVD of series one came out so i'm relatively new to who but that's not true for everyone who's a part of this podcast is it brent (laughs) (laughs) no i was about 10 years old when i first saw it and it was well showing my age here but it was like 81 and they and they had um on our local pbs station genesis of the daleks was the first one that i saw 
And I was like, what is this? And, and um, the reason I got into it is because I had a friend in whatever grade that was, I think it was the fourth grade. And he was like, uh, there's this really cool show. Doctor, you should check it out. It's really weird. It's really great. So I did. And I was, I was hooked from there on. We were like a, uh, maybe a year out from the UK. So when something came out, we had to wait like a year for it to show up here on our PBS stations. Yeah, I think I just unfortunately missed the time where it sort of stopped before we started again when it would have been that prime time in my life when I would have probably got into it. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, came to it a bit later. Yeah, but now that you're into it, you're not only into it as a fan, but you're into it as a part of its history. Like you yeah, will no, really forever be associated with this program <laughs> thanks to your good works, which is I've really, very, very lucky. which is amazing. Um, so is Trouton your favorite doctor? Definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was I was thinking about who else I'd like to work. I, actually, I, I would like to do some of the Hartnell ones as well. Um, very, very different character, obviously. A very straight character in comparison. But yeah, Trouton's definitely my favorite. T- favorite. Um, Tom Baker is interesting as well. He's definitely an interesting character to animate. Um, I've already worked with him once on Shada. But yeah, Trouton, definitely way up there. <laughs> Well, let's talk about animating um, because you're, you're taking someone who uh, is someone like Troughton or Baker who are incredibly animated as individuals, and that mm. has to be transcribed to animation. What challenges do you face uh, when animating something like, well, just animating people, but I guess more specifically for you, what challenges do you face when you're animating something like evil, which I mean, let's face it, doesn't really exist in its entire form. Um some of it only exists in sound bites, uh, but it already has existed. Like there's a memory of that. Some people have memory of what it was supposed to look like or what it did look like. Yeah. What is it like to be able to kind of pull that out of the past and bring it it's, into the uh, future? It's an interesting one. It's um, it certainly presents some challenges. We do have episode two existing, which has been remastered um, beautifully by Peter Crocker. Uh, so it's on the disc as well. So we do have some reference, but um I don't try to like animation is a very, very different medium to than live action and how we would approach the project would be very differently. So I don't try to do a frame by frame remake of the live action. Uh, there's a kind of no point doing that. We have the telesnaps, we have the telesnap reconstructions and trying to do like trying to do the same angles of the shots and all of that. It, it doesn't lend itself to remake in the same way. And also I don't really see the point of doing a frame by frame remake, to be honest. So what we do do, we are true to, to the show, to the audio, we use the original audio, um, which is remastered by the fantastic Mark Ayres, who's just a sound genius, it's amazing. Um, so we take the remastered audio and we, um, we do, I do a little editing of it, but very minimal and because I want to keep it as authentic as possible. And we use the camera scripts um, and we do and, and we try to keep the backgrounds. And this was actually um, filmed in. Um, well, there are three main sets, actually, but predominantly it takes place at Grimsdyke, which is now a hotel still in existence, which is great. So we still have a lot of it for reference. And a number of horror films were also filmed there. So we've lots of color as well as black and white photography for reference in terms of what wallpaper was on the wall and what the floors looked like and the tiles and everything else. So we do recreate the background as accurately as we can as well. Um, But that does create its own difficulties because 
ideally in an animated world, you don't want that chair there because the characters are tripping over it as they come in. So there are, it's a bit awkward. Um, so you wouldn't necessarily do it in the same way, ideally in animation. But uh, it's, yeah, it's very different. The characters are quite difficult to animate um, because they're very realistic. And the more realistic they are and more human-like they are, like their comic book style, um, designed by Martin Garrity, who's just a fantastic character designer. He's worked on all of these shows with me. Um, so he gets very good likenesses of the original actors, which is brilliant, but it makes them more difficult to animate. So it's really down to some really, really great animators on the, on the show to, to bring them alive and to like looking at reference of them in Doctor Who shows, but in, also in other shows that they've worked on and trying to capture mannerisms and you know, various ways they use their hands and their eyes and their face and try to bring that into the character to try to give that, bring that authentic, authenticity of the character across as well and um, bring the acting into it. Um, Maxtable is, I think, just one of the characters who'll really stand out when people are watching this. He's brilliant. He's got a fantastic voice. Brilliant makeup done on this as well, because he doesn't actually normally have a big bushy beard and everything. So the makeup artist should get a credit on that. In fact, does get a credit for that. Um, yeah, there's just a really strong cast. Waterfield as well. Um, great voices. So I think uh, as an animator, we're really working with the voices more than anything else. Um, and so that's what really carries the show I think in terms of that's what we're using to act out the pieces um, and I was really lucky we have a really great team of animators they've worked on a few most of them have worked on a few of the shows now and they just do a fantastic job it's been a real privilege to work with such talented people and um, they're all so professional so on top of it you know I really really love working with them I wanted to ask you I I know um, I've seen some of the behind the scenes of your animation and your team and how they use uh, some of the programs they use on the computer to to do some of this. And um, I've always had this question. I, I know you've been doing a lot of Troughton. Is that because you have a lot of like the base um, forms and, and, and drawings of him that you can work from uh, and, and try to do a lot of those before you move on to Hartnell or? And not really, actually, because... Well, with every show, I don't really see the point of getting involved in a project unless you're going to try to make it much better and push the standard every time. So right. in this one, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I do think the standard of this one is much, much better than the faceless ones, which is the last one I was involved in. Um, so we actually ripped everything up and started again. Oh, okay. uh, So all of the kits, all of the rigs, everything that we used last time, we through well throw away <laughs> they're still stored files somewhere and um, they're backup somewhere but we started from scratch with the rigs and built much more detailed rigs and um, far more breakdown drawings so like when a head turns instead of just having a head here and a head there and a head there we now have like far more breakdowns and we have higher levels and lower levels so we have a lot more movement in the heads um, and in the bodies generally um, better designs uh, cleaner designs in the rigs so the characters we get a lot more movement from the characters they're easier to animate so it took longer in pre-production i allowed more time for that um and it really paid off i think in terms of the animation hopefully you'll appreciate that when you actually get to see it so not really in reuse part of it is you know a lot of the decisions come down to about what we're making next come down to which shows do we have really good audio for, for 
and are ready to go and then which kind of fit in nicely with what we're making in terms of the timeline and filling in gaps for things and um and you know and and will are easily easily is the wrong word but are you know achievable in the very tight schedules that we'll have to animate so some of the stories have massive crowd scenes um and to do them justice you'd need a really long schedule to make them you'll need a couple of years we don't have a couple of years <laughs> so we kind of look at the shows that we can you know actually make in the time and budget allowed so it's sort of making you know there's a pragmatic element to it as well about what's achievable and then where it fits in with what we've made already and how how it flows in terms of what we're releasing and what the public want as well what the fans want so there are lots of different factors that play into this yeah i have to say they they just look better and better each time um and um speaking of being a director um who are some of your directorial influences um oh, i guess i mean obvious people like scorsese and people like that but um, I think that's very obvious into in Doctor Who stuff. It's quite interesting going back and looking at the classics and then seeing how good they were for working with what they had. Because a bit like us now, they were working on shoestring budgets with, I mean, even more than we had. I mean, we have very quick turnaround times, but they had to make them within a week and then they're on to the next show. And the turnaround times they had were shockingly tight. Um, in tiny, tiny rooms, generally the sets were, the set rooms were shockingly small, actually. Um, so it's kind of, I have a huge respect for for the directors who worked on these shows, actually, for what they achieved with what they had, for the tools they had. Um, so actually, I've, got, I've gone back and kind of started looking at their work with a, a much more appreciative eye than I did at the beginning. Have you looked at some of their non-Doctor Who related work as well, or just um, specifically no, Doctor I've, Who? I've now created a little, it's, this is my to watch list. I've created a little list of things once I've finished with all of this, of, of things I want to go through and explore a bit more. So yeah, I've got a to watch list for, for, for just that sort of stuff. Oh, so, I love to watch lists. They're fantastic. Longer and longer and longer. And yeah. No, it'll be lovely to have some time out to actually get to explore things like this, where you're constantly, you're in something, you're like, oh, that's fantastic. That's a really clever approach it's a really good solution to that problem. Just know it's James Joyce in your bookshelf behind you. I'm but yeah, you just get all these ideas and you're like, oh, I need to look into this more. But then, of course, you're carried along in the tide of sheer volume of work that you need to get through um, every day. So it, it's going to be really nice to actually start hopefully ticking some of these things off and getting to look into them a bit more. It's amazing how much the work of people that we admire influences our own work, regardless of what that work is. I mean, you could read a book and have it affect a script or have it affect uh, any other creative project, your art. Uh, When you sort of, uh, I was going to say digest, when you consume media, do you find that you tackle it um, thematically? Like, you know what? I really want to watch a something along the lines of like all of so-and-so's work or do you look at it as like i'm in the mood to watch this today um i've just i've recently because we can't do a lot of anything else become really interested in how people consume media just because that's all 
we've really been allowed to, some of us have been allowed to do for the last 18 months, 19 months or so. Um, and so it's people's viewing habits uh, or reading habits or watching or eating or creating habits. Um, I do both and it depends basically how much brain space I have. And that sounds a little bit of a sitting on the fence answer, but if I'm super busy and I'm really, you know, all of my energy is consumed in a project and I'm working, you know, 14, 16, 17 hour days, six days, seven days a week. Um, I won't, I'll literally watch whatever I'm in the mood for. And usually mm-hmm. it won't be anything too deep or I won't read anything too deep or that I need to concentrate much on. I'm more likely in that case to read um, often quite light stuff than I am to watch something because I'll have been in front of the screen so much. Sure. Yeah. Um. So, but if I have more downtime and I'm not crazy busy, then I'm more likely to think about, yeah, a director I like or um, an actor I like and start looking at what else they've been in or a type of show or, and then start, yeah, following themes, I guess, and pursuing things along those lines. So it sort of depends on what brain space I have as well. Oh. I see you're getting ready for the arrival of Professor McBitch. Her name is Ravelli. And my caustic joke on her name is McBitch. That's clever. Hello, I'm Professor McBitch. I come from Harvard. Snooty. She's probably told all her Harvard cronies how she's crowding out that Solomon bumpkin. Bumpkin! How dare she call me that? And this is your office. Oh, uh, Jennifer Ravelli, meet Dick Solomon. Oh, hello. What a delightfully eclectic sense of decor you have. The mockery begins. Oh, I love it. How whimsical. Okay, the potato man, we don't touch that. We are in my household currently pursuing two, two kind of streams along those lines we're watching in order all the movies of robert redford oh, cool. uh, which has been fantastic and has a wide variety and i mean just a bunch of bangers just great stuff he's a, he's yeah. phenomenal and then in my downtime i've been watching all the directorial works of john carpenter in, in chronological order and so oh, I've, I've two very disparate kind yeah. of program <laughs> and then and then in between all of that uh, I've been watching television shows because whenever we bring a guest onto the program, we know that Doctor Who is not the end all and be all of their fandom. And so we ask each guest to bring on a, a non Doctor Who show to talk about. So, Amory, would you tell us what your pick of the month is and, and why you chose it? Um, I was really torn with this uh, when Brent asked me because I, I I just kept jumping around. I was like, what did I really like? Oh, I liked Buffy and I liked Quantum Leap and I liked all of these so many different shows and Red Dwarf and just too many to mention. But um, Third Rock from the Sun jumped to mind and maybe it was because I was looking for something just, I just remembered really finding it hilarious when I was quite young. Um, I guess, when would I start watching it? I guess it was probably 13, 14, maybe, maybe 15, 16 when I started watching it. Um, and yeah, it just used to make me cry with laughter sometimes. And now I would look back and watch a few episodes of some of them. I'm like, mm, was it? But no, some of it's still hilarious. <laughs> um, I mean, they were like, some of it's very slapstick, but I like slapstick humor. Um, I just, I like the premise 
I think uh, John Lithgow is brilliant. Um, I just like the opportunity it gives you to study how we interact with some of the kind of farcical things of human society. With the whole, so the premise for those who don't know it is four aliens um, land on Earth with the idea of conducting research into human society and they're disguised as humans themselves. Um, and then they're basically as humans having all these typical human experiences and sometimes totally overreacting to them and sometimes totally shocked by them, just mundane everyday life things. Um, and as their research continues, they become more and more human and, and more and more in love with their human lives um, and, and goes from there. Um, so yeah, there's just really funny everyday sort of occurrences and just kind of seeing it from a slightly, I guess from an observer's point of view, but yeah, it's just, it's just really well-written, funny humor, I guess. It's really a beautiful premise. The way you mm -hmm. described it is is wonderful. I mean, you could have taken that exact same premise and described uh, any number. I think even like uh, speaking of John Carpenter, there's a film called Starman, which he did, which is a I mean, alien being comes to Earth and becomes more and more human because they fall in love with what it's like to be human. I mean, there's it's a premise that that has been explored in various genres, too. I mean, you could easily make it more of a drama rather than a comedy. Um and I watched this show once or twice when it was on. I think it, it happened to come into a time where I just didn't have television. But I remember really enjoying it because I think John Lithgow is a, a, a superlative actor. Um, and coming back and rewatching it for this podcast, I was just blown away by how quickly all four of the, the actors knew exactly what they wanted to do with their characters. And they just ran with it. Uh, and their performance just, just became better and more nuanced. Brent, did you watch this um, when it was on? No, I, I don't think I'd ever watched this show before. I mean, I'd heard of it, but uh, um, I don't know why. Because John Lithgow is, again, one of the best actors on the planet. And he can be really fun, funny like he is here. And he can be really creepy like he was in Dexter, and which was my favorite season. I mean, he just made that entire season he was fantastic but uh yeah I'm, I'm really glad that you chose this because I, i've really enjoyed it so far and i'm actually gonna continue watching it after this and it's uh genuinely very funny without being too silly it's very cleverly written the production style and writing reminds me a lot of fraser for some reason which was uh also one of my favorites i was just thinking um apparently Lico. uh was renowned for hating getting involved in, in sitcoms and didn't do them as a rule. And he turned down the rule of um, Fraser in Cheers. Oh, really? They basically kind of pounced on him um, trying to get him. <laughs> over. But I he had, agreed. I'd never heard of that before. That's, mm. that's cool. Um, but yeah, lots of big name guest stars pop up in here from time to time. Uh, I was surprised to see uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was just a baby. He was like, 14 or something <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. and he's the oldest character he's supposed to be the oldest alien as well so right just, yeah <laughs> playing like this kind of world weary alien who's been around longer than anybody going oh you have no idea <laughs> such a young guy yeah i think that's and actually my favorite part of the program just the the initial premise is that mm. you've got it, it, it's a very doctor who premise right you've got the 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 old it's soul trapped right. in the young body it's a very much matt smith sort of thing but then you get the added bonuses he's ancient he's old he's been around the block but now he's dealing with human puberty and uh <laughs> he can barely control himself 
yeah. Yeah. And hilarity ensues. Yeah, yeah no, I think it's just really well written. And it, it is, it's kind of, it's cheesy, but then it pulls back and it's witty enough and clever enough to, to not go over that boundary too much to just keep you entertained, I think. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to just chilling out and watching all of it again. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Which, I think the funniest so, scene that I've seen question. so far to me was um, the one where Mary had been gone for a week and Dick reacts <laughs> like he's in a movie and he runs and hugs her in her office in slow motion. But what makes it funny is that it's not really in slow motion. The actors are pretending it's slow motion. <laughs> so they're all falling yeah, all over the desk. Yeah. Just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's very funny. There's one with uh, John Cleese as well, which is hilarious because it's almost like uh, Lithgow's a, a, an American version of John Cleese. And John Cleese is playing golf with him and cheating blatantly. And it's just, yeah, it's quite funny seeing the two of them together. <laughs> I haven't watched that one and that is next on the list. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I went on, I mean, there's, there's a number of seasons. There's a lot of episodes per, cause you know, it's American sitcom. We don't get just six good episodes. We, we get <laughs> you know, 20 or 30 and some of them are hit some miss. Um, but I went online and said, you know, best episodes that are off from the sun. And they, you know, there's, there's a lot of contention uh, among fans, but I, I watched about oh, five, five to eight episodes. They, you know, I, especially over the last couple of days. So it's all sort of blurred in together. Um, I will say this, and I kind of mentioned this a little bit uh, on our last episode when we were talking about Younger, is that this show does contain a certain level of embarrassment because it is a fish out of water sort of story uh, when you, you know, bring a character who doesn't understand how the world works. And I get real embarrassed for the characters. Like, the, sadly, my, my empathy for embarrassment is super high. And so when a character does something that you are, you, you know, you know, Dick is going to do something at that wedding <laughs> that is just going to, and, and like, I start to like pull in, in myself and like, I can feel it coming. And I'm like, I should probably just skip the next 30 seconds of it. And <laughs> no. I, I forced myself to watch a couple of them where like, it happens. It's not that bad. It's for me, it's like the reverse of a horror movie, uh, a genre, which I do love. <laughs> Where it's just like, you know that jump scare is coming. You know that jump scare is coming, but like that's part of the fun. Yeah. It's the opposite for me because you know <laughs> so that that faux pas is going to happen. And it's just going to be like, oh, because I imagine myself doing that. And I'm so socially awkward that, yeah, anyway. I, I think that's why it was so popular that we can all relate to that. We've all been there where we just like totally put our foot in it. And I think that's, I, I mean, certainly as a teenager, that's why I could relate to it. It's like, mm-hmm aliens in a human world but you know there are times where we all feel a bit alien we all feel like we don't belong and you know on a slightly more serious note we all feel like we're you know slightly disenfranchised and we're not we're not fitting in um and i guess that's the appeal of it as well Mm. well especially like you say as as teenagers that's sort of the teenage experience um i rarely did the show that i've seen go to the cruel aspects of of what it's like to be a teenager uh but uh, yeah no it's, it's yeah i think it stays cool. on the right side of it where it's mm-hmm. supportive yeah i was thinking that um because this is you know the mid to late 90s to early 2000s and especially like the innuendo uh that they use near constantly um i thought was surprised that a network would allow them to get away with that but because the setup is they are 
using that innuendo naively. And uh, I think they could get away with, you know, a lot exactly. of the, the comments, the emotions, uh, <laughs> the props um, yeah. in particular. All the jokes on the names. Yes. I mean, <laughs> the episodes are named after Dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant stuff. I want to ask the both of you, because I, I had this moment where I was trying to figure out what I most associate John Lithgow. And I know it's, a, it's an ensemble cast and the ensemble cast is fantastic, but let's, let's face it. John Lithgow is certainly the most established actor uh, on mm. that of those core four. When you think of John Lithgow prior to this, what do you most associate him with? I can't think I'm terrible with names. It's really bad. I'm very much a visual person and sure. I blank on names constantly. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, it's fine. I'm worried about, about doing interviews. I'm like, I'm and then all of everything will come rushing to me the moment we finish the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brent, I'll let you go ahead. <laughs> well, I'll go first because th- this is the thing that for me, I'm always going to remember Lithgow as being the guy on the plane in the Twilight Zone movie. Oh, yeah. And so like, oh. that's the first time I remember watching him in Shatner's role from terror. I'm going to get this wrong, but I think it's 20,000 feet, 40,000 feet, something along those lines. Um, and I remember watching him and thinking, oh, that's this guy. That's who he is. And now to watch a, a show. And it, for me too, because when Lithgow came on this program, that was like the first time I remember like a big movie actor yeah. being on television, you know, like from big screen to small screen. It's not something that you, you saw. He's certainly... The, you know, the biggest name on that program on a regular basis. Mm. Now it's so commonplace to see someone from the movies taken, you know, three to five years or so to be a part of a regular program. But at the time, you're right. It used to be such a distinct thing. You were a movie actor or a mm-hmm. TV actor. And that was it. It was a line. A lot of people never crossed. Yeah. Brent, how about you? Who's your, who's your Lithgow? Well, I think the, the greatest thing he's ever done to me was uh, was Dexter that year. But mm-hmm. as far as like where I had seen him before uh, Third Rock, um, <laughs> probably Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> oh, actually, you that's know the what? first time I saw him. Yeah. yeah, that was probably his earliest work that I'm familiar with. Like as a kid, that I would have first seen him, or when I was young, I first saw him. Yeah. Oh, that old yeller scene at the end where he hits Harry. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Actually, also, um, World According to Garp. Uh, there was a really early, very, very early where he's a part of a, a commune and he uh, is a trans character. And I think that might have been the first trans character. I, I believe I'm remembering that right. If uh, Brent, if I'm wrong by this, please cut this out. No, that's right. I, I've, <laughs> yeah. you know, I've, I've always wanted that, to see that really film. Much. Yeah. I've <laughs> always wanted to see that, but I another never thing had. for my to watch list. <laughs> it grows. It's just getting so long talking to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is dangerous. Oh, always. I mean, that's really, we, uh, sorry, did we not send you that this is going to be a dangerous podcast? Uh, <laughs> <The> morning <laughs> list. Like, welcome to, thank you for showing interest in the Who and Company podcast. As a reminder that we are going to be referencing we'll several other. <laughs> this conversation could last four hours. It only seems like thanks to the brilliance of Brent's editing that it's only a 90 minute or an hour. Anyway. Oh, and you can't forget he was the, uh, he was the preacher in uh, Footloose. Oh, yes. Apparently, there are cross references to Footloose, and also, I think, and we'll have to check this before we let it be in the show. But I think <laughs> William Will Shatner does the voice of 
um, Big Giant Head, who's he their is. great leader that they're reporting back to. Oh, okay. So, wait, wait, no. So wait, is Shatner in Footloose as well? I'm sorry. This is this is, this is a horrible thing. <laughs> Listeners, pre- prepare yourselves. <laughs> I have never seen Footloose. <gasps> oh, yeah. Okay. okay. I feel better about myself now. <laughs> I can it, I can rest at ease. You can't see me, but my my head exploded also. I know. I'm sorry. There's You're cleaning there, your screen right now. Yeah, yeah. A, a buddy of mine has a, pod, a a movie review podcast called "Have Not Seen This," where people talk about movies that, that you know you would be surprised to find out they haven't seen. Uh, and it's like I haven't seen Footloose. That's I know it's a big one. I haven't seen Dirty Dancing. Um, you know, so there might be a theme here. Uh, yeah, Dances with Wolves. I've never seen that one. You know. So. <laughs> guess guess what activity I don't do often. Uh, <laughs> If you've guessed anything other than uh, dancing, you haven't been paying attention. Uh, right. So, okay. Fantastic. Let's talk about some of the other members of the supporting cast because Jane Curtin's in this. And really, I've been saying we have an ensemble cast of really looking at four because we're talking about the aliens, but Jane Curtin's in every episode. And she is brilliant. She is. She's fantastic. She's amazing. Yeah. I think she came across from Coneheads because she knew the producers and they convinced her to come across. And she's, I mean, she's one of the strongest characters in it, I think. Um, and she's a perfect sort of balance for for Dick Solomon, for Don Litko. I was just trying to think of what kind of scenario you'd have to put yourselves in to be in a co-ed, co-office. Um, they're ne- you know, I'm looking at this at a university. They're never, there's not enough room to invite a student in to have a conference. Where do you talk to your students? Like if, <laughs> okay, if you... <laughs> practicality is such a good point. <laughs> I, I only say that because I am married to a professor and, um, you know, I, I know how important it is to have a safe space in which to bring a student in and have a conversation with him. Uh, that's yeah. that is not a safe space. Can you imagine Dick Solomon being in the office while you're having your safe space conversation? <laughs> no, no. I, mean, I don't think so. I don't think we ever see more than three people in that office because we'll have, we'll have both the, the those characters and then, um, oh no, who is personal assistant um, yeah the assistant who comes in but like she looks un- i mean she's in. she's amazing she looks uncomfortable yeah. not just because of uh the the how small the set is but also just because of who those she's two so, are so she cuts right through a lot of his stuff as well i think she's brilliant um and also his son physics class mm-hmm. um he plays a guy called lee um He's, and he's basically the boss of lots of jokes of like, Leon, you'll never understand this, understand this because the chances, the odds of you actually being correct or getting any answer correct are staggeringly. He's just really funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's one of his students. He, he, he doesn't seem to be the sharpest tool in the shed, but exactly. he always accidentally comes up with the right answers in class. Yeah. Or he comes <laughs> up with something really profound or something. And you're yeah. just like, oh. Cleveland is a feeling, right? Yeah. yeah, you know. yeah exactly. how, how far is Cleveland from here? It's fifty-two miles. Miles. It's a uh, you know. Oh, that was a really minutes. excellent one. What yeah. was it? It was another one. There was it's um oh what was it? It was something like it was a, an assault charge or a, a it's felony. One fe- yeah, yeah, because the courthouse is there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or it's a nine-dollar bus ticket. And actually, I was yeah. really struck by that because this is where this is for those who are interested. This is the pilot episode where they're just kind of discussing. Yeah. Um, how we measure distance and they're already really getting into kind of physics being less of a, uh, a nominal construct and being more like a theoretical yeah. construct, which is really yeah, cool. The box. Yeah. And yeah. all the physics they thought apparently was all correct because I think one of the writers was a Cambridge physics 
um, mm-hmm. PhD student or something like that. And correct me if I'm wrong on that. So all the physics is is correct that he's teaching. It's just really advanced physics, and he's got a bunch of undergrads going. I I no idea, no idea what you're talking about. Just <laughs> their level. There's um, a little yeah. bit of DNA um, of of Big Bang theory too in this, in that you're you're how do exceptionally intelligent individuals who are socially inept deal with being members of what is considered to be a regular society and who have they also, I think it's safe to say most of the characters on big bang kind of hold regular society in contempt in a, in, in a certain way. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm afraid like I have watched some of that, but not all of it, but uh, yeah, yeah, I've watched quite a bit of that as well. Um, I think there's, I guess that that theme sort of plays through in a number of different ways because the aliens themselves are sort of supercilious in, in a little bit and kind of looking down on humans and then they sort of embrace them and become as human as any of us. Um, and then, yeah, and then the fact Professor Albright is an anthropologist and they're studying humans themselves and like there's all these kind of layers upon layers upon layers of it, I think is quite interesting. Yeah, that was... I imagine that that was an aha moment for the writers to go, okay, well, if he's studying physics because he's an alien and understands how that works, if we're going to be studying humans, let's get an anthropologist in this. Perfect. It's so yeah. good. And she's so yeah. good at it. Yeah. Um, Even her name, Albright, it's almost mm-hmm. Kenzian, like describing that she's the bright one and, you know, a strong female figure. And I remember there's some line where Sally's like, oh, yeah, why do I have to become the woman? And Dick is like really dismissive and says, because you lost. And it's like, there's like these little moments where you're like, okay, because Sally often is kind of overtly playing the kind of ditzy female. But yeah, there's also recognition, there's a lot more going on there. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's well written. Do you think the show could be? Um, they could bring this back if this, I mean, we're, we're in an age of reboots where it, it feels like there's not a lot of original, but like, this is, this is a show that could, could be rebooted. Uh, pretty to be honest, I'm a little bit surprised considering, you know, especially over the last 18, 19 months, there's been a, a dearth of content and, you know, because of, we've had to put, put the stock gate on a lot of things being made while we couldn't shoot. Um, and which is why there's such a demand for animation as well. Um, I'm surprised that it hasn't been put on more channels for streaming and that they're not replaying it at least, as well as, you know, potential for remake. Oh, yeah. I mean, for listeners who are interested in watching this, I think we have to go to IMDb television and watch it with commercials, not the Mm -hmm. actual original commercials, because that would have been exceptional. I would have loved that. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing like watching commercials from the late 90s. but yeah, you, 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 I don't, unless you would pay, guess play a, pay a premium price, you're, you're going to watch some commercial, but it's not, it's fine because that's how I watched it. Like this is a show where the commercial breaks are baked in with animation, right? It's like, it's like this, it tells you when you're having a break, this is when you're getting ready. We'll suddenly cut to uh, a volcano in space exploding, uh, usually during an, after an innuendo joke. Um, but there's a lot of uh, rings of Saturn hula hooping and uh, yeah, it's different over in like in Ireland and in the UK and in, in Europe in general. We don't have anywhere near as many ads played as as you do in the states. So we we have those baked in, and then it continues with the show. <laughs> so right. it's like one of those ooh moments, and then it's like continue playing. It's fine, but yeah, yeah, we, we don't have to suffer through as many ad breaks, fortunately, in anything. <laughs> well, who's your favorite, Emery? Who's your favorite character on the show? Um, Dick. Yeah, I, I mean, Tommy is Tommy's brilliant. And I think he he plays the role fantastically. And he's incredibly talented for somebody so young. But um, but Dick is just brilliant. He's, he's hilarious. 
um, and played against sort of Mary, um, well, Mary Albright. Um, I think they work really, really well as a duo. I think, yeah, mm-hmm. he's definitely the star of the show, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Brent? I'm going to say Dick, too, just because he makes me laugh so much with his expressions and his reactions to different things. But uh, it really is a great ensemble cast. Yeah, Lithgow is a powerhouse. Um, you know, I... He uses his whole body when he acts as well. His poses are amazing. Like as an animator, you're always looking at, you know, how people are standing and posing. And he's just, he's fabulous. He's a bit like John Deeks as well. He just throws his whole body into everything. <laughs> he's hilarious to watch. He's a real, um, you know, physical actor. Does it make you sweat a little when you're watching it going, I don't want to <laughs> have to animate that guy. That's going to be so I'd much love work. To animate him. If he's going to play like playing a, a character like this, absolutely, I think it'd be hilarious to animate. He does really strong poses. Exactly what you want. I mean, he he won at least three primetime Emmys for this series for for being the the lead in a, in a comedy series. If you haven't watched his um, 1999 acceptance speech for the Emmys, where he's up against uh, uh, Mad About You, Frasier, Spin City. Uh, like all the like the, the biggest names at the time, and then he's won. Here we go, and he's just like I thought. I just thought people were thinking I was an imbecile for trying this. Like I was, I was bringing down the, the Hollywood community. But there you go. <laughs> Show you what you, what I know. You know, didn't you see the clip they used? <laughs> Who wins for this anyway? Time's up. Have a nice night, and you know, sort of right, brilliant man. Brilliant. And I actually think. I would have thought that French Stewart would have gotten on my nerves more. Um, that, but his character, I feel, has been copied so much since. But like mm. the the alien alien, uh, where it's sort of like the jokes are all almost all low hanging fruit, but he pulls it off actually mm. quite well. Um, you know, we I don't think we feel like we really mentioned him as as much. Um, He's the he's the Gonzo, right? He's the resident weirdo. He's the uh, the the quiet one who you know is going to take it too too far, but subdued too far, which I think is a is also another kind of uh, good counterpoint to the amount of energy everybody else is putting out there. Yeah, I think um, I think what Brent said about it being an ensemble cast is is really good. They work so well together and playing off each other. I think it's the the dynamic between the four. Of- well, the five, including Mary Albright, um, works really, really well because you, they can't all be big, huge characters in your face. You need a counterpoint to that, and and he works very well. Apparently, he brought that a kind of little squinty thing he does in on his first audition, and they they just loved it. The casting director just loved it, and he sort of developed a lot of the mannerisms and everything himself, and brought that to to the show himself. And I think a lot of the actors were given quite a bit of freedom to kind of ad lib a bit and probably had a lot of fun making the show and that comes through yeah i imagine from reference no one has to go you know what i still feel like you're acting the way an alien would act because you could (laughs) you could do whatever you want with it yeah yeah and you need that well you were talking about possibly animating uh john let's go so if you were to animate a crossover between third rock and doctor who what what do you think the plot would be (laughs) that would be a hell of a crossover um so we'd have to have Troughton. I mean, uh, well, see if it's Troughton. Troughton's already a very eccentric character. So then who the companion, who would be the companion? You'd have to have Tommy or somebody like that because John Lithgow is just too big a personality to have beside mm. yeah. a personality <laughs> like Troughton. You'd need somebody straight like Hartnell maybe. Um, 
oh, that would be a really interesting show. I think it'd have to be Tommy and Troughton. I do like Tommy, but no, I couldn't give up Dick. We'd have to have Dick in it. Right. <laughs> yeah, okay. William Hartnell and Dick Solomon. Oh, wow. And William Hartnell is going to hate Dick Solomon. With <laughs> yes. Just, oh, that would be it's so intense. It's not going to be like any other who you've seen before. <laughs> Um, all right. How about, how about, I'm just going to blue sky this one here. Um, Albright goes to an anthropology conference okay. uh, and Dick comes with, but the, but it's someone at the conference because we're archaeology is a part of anthropology. Someone at that conference has dug up some artifacts that are potentially dangerous. And the doctor has come to this convention to confront it. And whatever the artifact has, has, triggered something that is the enemy of not only the doctor's people but also uh our ensemble casts people uh and they would have to maybe team up maybe something that would show us their true forms which could be i think has been alluded to being a quivering purple mass i love Um, this idea i think that'd be hilarious getting (laughs) so much fun with that yeah yeah i'm on board (laughs) <laughs> okay, you organize the funding. I'll get the team there together. You go. <laughs> I, I, I hope you like working with very little. F- <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to be doing this uh, by drawing <laughs> stick figures. Uh, <laughs> we'll start storyboarding. I've got, I've got a marker. We're good. <laughs> right there, we go. We're going to write it on the side of the wall and just film it in quick succession. We have we actually know quite. We've had a couple of animators, um, stop motion animators on our on our program. Elisa Sterns, who's oh, done um, Doctor Puppet. That. So yeah, well maybe we will talk to her about that. Well, that would be really cool. Yeah, <laughs> actually, be- speaking of animations, I liked uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, Carolyn, all of those all stop motion stuff out of Ardman, places like that. I just think they do amazing work. Yeah, it's true. I, it, it's I'm a, a big Harryhausen fan from way back when the. His Sinbads and and such yeah. were my favorite movies growing Dick up as a child. Arguments. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and there was a time when I was in film school uh, that I really wanted to do something involving stop motion animation. That's what I was thinking. We're gonna bring it back. We're gonna make it yeah. cool again. Yeah. And yeah. you know, there there are folks who do it, and I have tremendous respect for the just the sheer amount of patience and forethought that they have painstakingly um, slow i mean hand-drawn animation done properly is is very slow but stop motion i just have so much respect for it done well it's just terrific would you take alien shape if it meant studying another intelligent life <laughs> absolutely i wouldn't hesitate for a heartbeat yeah yeah find me up <laughs> yeah and uh uh if you had your druthers about what that shape might be um Extra limbs, another head. Um, yeah, I definitely go for more limbs than fewer limbs. Um, and it would be, I mean, opposable digits are very useful, so I definitely like to keep thumbs. I'm trying to think of what's useful. It depends on the um, the environment that I was going mm-hmm. to be popped into. Is it going to be like water or air? Do I need to be able to breathe? There's lots of questions to ask here, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's always fun. Well, you had mentioned your, your love of science and biology and such, and so uh, that's yeah. that's always a fun one. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, I actually think um, amorphous blob might be the way to go. Uh, for me personally, I think it would be really fun to kind of uh, not be hindered at all by by an actual structural form. How about you, yeah. Brent? You want to you want to be an alien? I would absolutely do that. I, I mean, 
And I do believe there is life somewhere else. I mean, you look up at the stars and you realize that every one of those is a sun like ours and could have planets like ours. And there's millions of stars. So it's inevitable that there's life somewhere. Um, you know, they're too far away to communicate with us or not advanced enough or so advanced that they'd be bored with us <laughs> or have just watched uh, one of our newscasts from the last uh, five years and went, no. Yeah, true, true. I'm with you on this. I was out rock climbing with a friend uh, yesterday and uh, we're basically climbing up and down the same piece of rock and we were chatting about this and he was saying, um, I imagine, yeah, there are, of course, there are alien forms, you know, the, the galaxies are too vast not to have other intelligent life forms. He said, I'm sure they visit every now and then and they'll see people like us climbing up and down the same piece of rock and say, mm, maybe give them <laughs> another few million years to evolve a bit more. They're not quite ready to interact with yet. <laughs> Well, is there any other projects uh, that you are that you can tell us about that, uh, or I guess in the works that you wanna you wanna mention, or is that something that we can't can't learn about? Um, I've had discussions about a potential project which I can't talk about. Right. Um, but you know, like aside from that completely, which is a work project. Um, aside from that completely, you know, I'm an animator. Every animator pretty much probably has their own. We're storytellers, so we have our own stories to tell. Uh, you've been involved in, in, I don't know if you're the same, Brent, where, where you were involved in film in some way or making film or being in film school. So you probably play with your own pet projects as well. So I have my own, uh, like everybody else. Mine is around evolution and biology. Um, so I'd like to have more time to work on that. Um, not stop motion, unfortunately, but hand-drawn paperwork. Um, so yeah. If I have time, I'll play with that. But the the work project that has been discussed isn't something I can discuss with with you, unfortunately. Sure. It can be discussed with somebody else, and that's fine. So, but but you you so you're saying is you do have a dream project, yes? Oh yeah, but I think I think most of us who work in this industry have our own dream project when we finally get a break from work to uh, to dabble in. But it's just trying to find enough free time to put enough time into to make actual progress with um and well i guess it's making time for it isn't it like everything else uh, prioritizing things so so yeah well Marie, thank you so much for coming on and and uh hanging out with us <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure and really fun thank you both for having me on the show and thank you for joining us on who and company who and company come for the fandom stay for the company Thanks for joining us at Who & Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho. Who & Company can be found on iheartradio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show at patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. Then there's nothing left to say, but uh, thank you for, for being a part of us. Uh, part of us. I'm going to take that again, Brent. <laughs> Sorry, I was still thinking about the amorphous blob. Oh, yeah, uh, aliens. Consuming, <laughs> growing, 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 1980s blob. Yeah. Best movie ever. Okay, um, <laughs> thank you so much for being <laughs> joining us on Who and Company today, Emery.